0: In a time of great change, we're all making efforts to become more ethical, more educated people. The TransAction podcast interviews guests from many different backgrounds to bring diverse aspects of the human experience to life through humour, authenticity, and personal stories. We are privileged to get a glimpse into other people's realities and to get first-hand advice and information from people on the front line of great social change. I'm Harris Eddie Hill, an out and proud trans non-binary person, an inclusive mental health coach, and a best-selling author. And this is the Transsection Podcast. Hey everyone, and welcome back today. I'm joined by the social media superstar, Patrick Walden, who is a psychotherapist. Whereabouts are you based, Patrick?
1: i'm in philadelphia uh pennsylvania yeah that's
0: cool and And you're a psychotherapist
1: i am a psychotherapist yep um actually moved to philadelphia one month before the pandemic began um from massachusetts where i lived for probably 14 years give or take Mm -hmm. um and so that was an interesting time to arrive here um so at first i was you know got a new office in center city and and had two ever you know clients in person and then very quickly the world shut down and i like started the whole working from home online therapy thing um luckily though like i had already a lot of my colleagues at the time were like Online therapy, how, what do we use? How do I do this? How does this even work? It, will this work as therapy? Will it be effective? Um, but I had luckily already been doing therapy with like um, trans folks, especially in rural or remote areas who weren't able to access um, just good therapeutic care. So I like knew what I was doing at that point, which was good. It was like the one thing I had in a, in a new city and changing world um and and also have been um meeting with folks all over um just for brief therapy like trans non-binary folks who are looking for letters for like surgery or hormones or things like that so we just have a real brief therapeutic connection really for the purpose of me writing a letter so yeah I'm in Philadelphia and now back in a physical office again which is nice to yeah to have the delineation between home and work
0: yeah do you prefer being in an office
1: i like having the option you know there are some days where i'm like it's raining and i don't really want to walk 10 minutes down the street um but yeah it is nice to have a space um even if i'm just seeing all online remote folks like where i can put on my pants and like (laughs) you know be seen and see the world and um and also uh, there's something nice and symbolic about shutting the door at the end of the day to help compartmentalize the work that I do
0: yeah and be
1: able to unwind yeah
0: yeah Yeah, that's cool so did you only really get into so into the social media stuff because of the pandemic or were you already quite big on social media
1: I, um, this is an accident. I never tried to have a big um, following on social media. Um, I made a Facebook page for myself before I could afford a website. And that's why it's there. Um, And I have no idea why or how I gathered a large large following. I know some people tried to do that. Um, I think it may have to do with, I did like some workshops at colleges and I think maybe some people started to follow me and things like that. Um, But yeah, at this point, I've got a big following and I'm not sure quite what to do with it. (laughs) Um, So there's
0: no tips, no tips for anyone else who's trying to do the same thing.
1: I think the tip would just be like, I just post stuff when I feel like it. Um, and I don't know if that will work for other people or not, but like when I moved by something, I'll post it. And sometimes that's six times in one day. And sometimes that's not for two weeks, you know? Um, and we, you know, you mentioned, um, I'm happy to talk a little bit about some of the downfalls of being really seen, um, one thing is that I wasn't out to everyone in my life as trans, um, and that included my in-laws, um, and that was the big one, and so, like, I, while many people might meet me and maybe assume that I'm trans, many people might meet me and not assume that I'm trans, um, you know, I feel like these days, a lot of people meet me and are like, maybe assume I'm a cis gay man or, or whatever. You know, gender is a very interesting thing that people like to project all over the place. But um, yeah, so I didn't really have it out there because I wasn't ready to come out. Um, but then I did, because I'm actually um, beginning a like, child's having process like my partner and i are beginning a fertility journey together and i was like you know if it were up to me like i would have come out to another cis person in the world who didn't have to know but ultimately decided to come out to my in-laws because i don't want my kid to bear the burden of having to keep a secret for me and um yeah luckily i have a good supportive group of people who, like, trans men who've been, you know, transitioning for 10 plus years that I can access, who were really supportive in that part of my decision making, and ultimately were like, yeah, this is the first, like, gift you're giving your kid like, well done, you know? So then I was like, okay, fuck it, like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna really... I don't know, come out, I guess, in this big way. Again, total accident that I have this following, but, like, I noticed I was actively hiding parts of myself and then worrying what will it be like? Am I going to lose followers if I come out as friends? Are people going to harass me or... You know, people can do all sorts of things. Um, And... I don't even really remember what it was at this point, but oh, yes, now I do. Someone left me a review on my Facebook page um, because I must have posted something um, supporting trans youth or or something of that nature. I don't remember what it was, but this person gave me a one-star negative review on Facebook and told me I think that the language people use now like is like oh if you support trans youth then you're a groomer which is really terrible language um I'm like a trauma survivor and someone who helps people um in their trauma journeys and that's just such a, sh- a shitty thing to say mm-hmm. um anyway. So he was not recommending my services. And so I wrote back and said, well, I I don't think we've ever met. Um, How is it that you can, you know, like not recommend my services? And he said something else nasty. And so I was like, okay, let's like put this to the test. So I put on my Facebook page, like um, what had happened and what I was called exactly and why. And you know maybe like show me some love and head on over to my review sec- section and like leave me a positive review and his his thing must have been reported it's not even there anymore and i i ended that day i mean, I really processed this all in one day like i ended that day writing this guy a note thanking him because really i had like 30 people write lovely things about me some of whom i've actually met Some of whom I haven't, I've had, you know, that same day I had people reach out to me being like, yeah, that's shitty. I didn't know you were trans, but you were awesome to my kid and we love you and we still talk about you. And I had a great day. And so I just thanked him for that and um, moved on with my life. And that's sort of where that's at. Now this is a tangent, but (laughs) yes, I have a a social media
0: following. (laughs) it's a lot to manage so Uh you talked about your motivation for coming out being that you didn't want your you know future child to carry a burden of you know your secret which in itself was quite deep but also there must be are there benefits for you personally now having come out and gone for it
1: well I don't have to I don't have to have that same burden, I guess, you know, of worrying so much. I feel like when I first was starting my transition, it was a really vulnerable time, like, and I cared so much about passing, and I cared so much about not sounding gay, and like, you know, I cared so much about sounding as butch as possible and having my intonation be just the right way and I've come to not care about that stuff so much anymore especially when I think about you know some of the clinical encounters I've had or just trans people are very observant of the world because we have to be some of the things I've observed about just how harmful it is for all men to have to worry about how gay they sound or being vulnerable or um, the things that get in the way of of men being able to connect with one another in the world around them and even parts of themselves is just so depressing. And um, I'd rather people know that I'm trans or think that I'm gay then like have to wrap off entire parts of myself. Um, so that's that, you know. Cool. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so you've talked about other parts of your identity that are important to you. What What are the other aspects of you that you, you know, think about a lot and kind of affects your, how the, how you see the world and also how you practice your psychotherapy
1: yeah yeah it is very important that i'm trans in the way that i see the world and and also it's it's just one aspect of who i am and so i have to be careful not to sort of be that was the other piece of not wanting to come out publicly is i don't want to be pigeonholed as like the trans therapist like i'm a great therapist outside of that and and that's important to me while I don't care as much about being outed or being out I do care about trans people being seen for their merits alone and like you know people in general and so one of the I guess I'll back up and just say like I became much like the Facebook fame uh, was an accident so was me becoming a therapist so I, I never set out to, I wasn't like, when I grew up, I want to be a therapist, although certainly the scene was set for me to become one. Um, I more was just like, I had finished undergraduate school. I went in to become a teacher to young children and realized I didn't want to stand up in front of a whole classroom. Like that's not really my thing. And found myself more drawn to the like, sort of, on the fringes, kids or kids who were struggling socially or behaviorally and taught preschool for a year and was like, okay, well, I want to actually, like, be able to afford my bills and life. Um, So that was cute while it lasted and, and, and really a lovely job while it lasted. And then I had my first big, like, heartbreak happen. And more than one person told me, I just didn't know what to do with my life at that point. Like everything just sort of changed. And I was in my younger 20s and more than one person was like, you should go to social work school. I could see you in social work school. So I just went to social work school, having really not much of an idea about what that meant um, and found an AmeriCorps program linked up with the graduate degree that helped like fund my education and my living situation, paid for and gave me a stipend. And that just seemed like a fine idea to do next. And then um, having grown up sort of like with a working class background, already at the end of graduate school, I was like applying for jobs and realized that, oh, like the only jobs I can get are like a therapist job. Like I could be a therapist at a community mental health center. So I guess that's what I'll do. I mean, that really is the story of that. And and then, honestly, your first job anywhere as a community mental health therapist, you learn a lot quickly about how to be a therapist. And then I started to, like, um, I started to transition. I was like, oh, boy, I don't want to come out to like 40 clients and their families and also all of my colleagues um I think that's another moment of like self-preservation that I'm talking about around being trans it's like I'm not going to put myself through that so I got a job at a um, hospital like a um inpatient hospital because I was told that there's an LGBT unit there really hoping that that would be a good and safe place for me to medically transition on the workplace, you know, because I wanted to use my degree um, and still have a job that I've earned. Um, but it ended up being not that great, um, but I learned a lot there, too, which is good, um, including how to be good to myself and stand up for myself and, um, But yeah, I had no idea I wanted to be a therapist. Eventually, I was able to just take the leap and start my own private practice. Um, And I'm really, really glad I've done that. And I sort of had some, like, moving and life-changing things. And there was one brief period of time where I went back working for a community mental health, health agency. And I think it took me two months to quit. And like be like, no, this is still not good for me. And what I want to do, and how I want to practice my work, um, and have not looked back since. Just so happy to have built this practice. Um, and so identities that I bring to it. Um, I'm a trauma survivor myself, and um, have also experienced a lot of like grief and loss throughout my life. And so I, I bring. I bring that experience with me, so it's not so much like a, a language barrier. The same thing with like my queer identity, um, and in terms of therapeutic orientations, like I, I really do feel it. It sounds perhaps a bit corny, but my biggest therapeutic orientation is just like love. Like I figure out how to love each one of my clients. I feel like. So many of us who experience neglect and abuse um, weren't taught the right messages about love. And so in turn, don't know how to properly love ourselves. And so that's, that's a big thing that I show my clients how to do, how to love themselves, how to be loved, how to feel loved and take that into the real world hopefully um, change their lives for the better. But like on paper, I'll call that, a relational model, you know, um, and also I, um, have been trained in EMDR, which is a really cool, um, approach, and I see a lot of uh, movement happen for folks, but I'm not really married to sticking to any one thing. I really feel like EMDR is supposed to be this course of treatment that you see from beginning to end and I've got I've you know know where we are and things but if someone just had a breakup or a big trigger come up that isn't what we wrote in the note before like we're going to do that Mm. then and then get back to it you know it's really an individualized
0: thing yeah that's cool so for those who don't know what EMDR is do you want to describe it a little bit
1: Mm -hmm. Sure, yeah, so it stands for eye movement, desensitization, and reprocessing, Um, and the theory behind it is that um, you find a way to bilaterally stimulate your brain, so stimulating um, both halves of your brain as well as the rest of your brain to allow it to, one, Create a soothing sensation. So, you know, moving eyes back and forth is a bilateral stimulation method, or tapping one leg and then the next. Um, or if you don't want to touch you know, your body for whatever reason, working through something, you can tap a table back and forth. Um, bilateral stimulation is something we see happen as humans naturally in the world as a way of soothing. So, um, a parent will rock a baby back and forth and the baby will be soothed or we can read a book by moving our eyes back and forth and get really sleepy at night. And that's why, because it sort of creates this soothing sensation. And the idea is we're, you know, so we, we come up with a list of targets. We identify a target. Um, we light up the target. Um, by way of sort of using our senses and our memory. Like, if we are talking about a really scary car crash that happened that makes someone really tense up and, you know, sort of get anxious when they're in cars now, um, the idea is that the past is superimposing itself onto the present. And what we want to do through EMDR is properly process the past so that it's not showing up in the present anymore and it's properly processed back in our long-term memory versus popping around in our short-term memory ready to just kind of go off at any time and that can happen to something traumatic like an event, like a car accident and it can also we can use it for something more like complex trauma like um stuff that might show up relationally and you know a a relationship um but it's really about the long-term neglect feeling abandoned as a child so we can have a specific event that we light up or we can have sort of this feeling that we can light up um and what we're sort of lighting up ultimately is a neural network in someone's brain so associations that we have um and through the process of emdr um my client has basically one foot in the present here with me as well as one foot in their past as they work through this traumatic event or memory um as well as they're doing the soothing sensation and so that allows people to to go to these difficult places but also um the EMDR allows all of the parts of the brain to sort of chat with one another. So short-term to long-term memory, as well as the hippocampus, which is the part of our brain that allows the communication to happen. Um, So that's kind of, there's no really short way of describing EMDR, but it's really a a really helpful, useful approach for trauma.
0: Yeah, that's cool. I'm also a trauma survivor and have talked about the process that I've gone through for my own healing and uh super passionate about it and EMDR is one of the things I haven't tried so I mean I don't know at the moment I feel like I've got nothing left to work on but I'm sure something will pop up later and I'll be like oh I'll try some EMDR yeah
1: and the the cool thing about it is it's I think just a less cruel way of treating trauma than like exposure therapy or tell me every single detail of that terrible thing that you already went through like I just don't see that as so helpful or necessary when we have I don't even need to know what someone's processing for a effective yeah a hundred
0: percent I mean yeah. I know that NLP in the past has been considered like real pseudoscience and stuff but in recent times they've done more better studies on it and they've identified that some of some of the modalities within that are really effective for things like trauma and depression and all sorts and um, one of the principles of NLP is that if someone's got a trauma you don't make them practice the trauma you don't make them practice the neural pathways and we don't even have to discuss what it is we just diffuse it and and kind of heal it and we don't have to go there or tell the story again and practice it again because we don't want people to be triggered they need to be grounded enough to work through it so how how you know obviously you've trained uh in psychotherapy and then you've also got these other modalities that you use for the trauma Mm -hmm. um how do you feel about psychotherapy as a standalone approach to trauma because i know that for me It took me 20 years to find a therapist who had these other modalities to help me heal and up until then nobody said like oh well i can't help you process that trauma but these things can nobody told me it was like pure luck or divine intervention that i found that healing so how do you feel about the the traditional
1: talk therapy you know I think that the relationship that you have with your therapist is probably going to be the most important thing for any one individual. I remember back in grad school hearing the study that like 75% of why therapy is effective is your relationship with your therapist, which makes so much sense in the world to me. And then yeah. the 25% and maybe the numbers have changed since then, but 25% is that therapist particular modality of treatment. Um, and that resonated with me then, and it still resonates with me now. Like, I think finding a good match for therapy is ultimately worth your while, you know, like, even if that means shopping around for a little bit of time. Um, I think talk therapy by itself, I will also say is not enough. In my professional opinion, like, I see my clients as smart, resourceful, resilient people who already know what's happened to them and who have already tried many things before they've come to my office. And what I would never do to a client is like have them leave my office saying to themselves, like, I already knew that, but like, (laughs) what do I do about it? I think that we need to give clients tangible tools, um, Tangible treatment, but also tangible tools that they can leave the office with. So that I think therapy is just kind of practice for the real world and, and like have to go back to their lives and be able to use some of this stuff. Like, because I've had a lot of situations where folks, where our prefrontal cortex, like our logical brains are chatting and like, yep, good idea. Yep, totally agree with you, Patrick. But then have seen people go back to their lives and like kind of pull the same shit, you know? And um, so we need effective, more long-term tools to be giving people too. Otherwise, we're kind of wasting
0: everyone's time. Mm. Yeah, i I've had I've had um, sort of friends and clients in the past who've said, "Oh, I've been going to my therapist for five years," and I'm like, "Okay, mm-hmm. you know, how much better do you feel?" And they're like, "I don't."
1: Yeah. <laughs> Totally. Like, yeah. You know,
0: and then when I say, you know, like I had really successful uh treatment for PTSD, I lived with this PTSD for like 20 years. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it was around being a survivor of assault as a kid, and um that trauma was processed in two sessions. Wow. So when I mentioned, oh I you know, I I went through this, they go, Oh, that must have taken a really long time. And I was yeah. like, No, it was really yeah. fast, it took two yeah. hours. Mm-hmm they're like what yeah and i i really feel I, obviously it's different for everyone and you can and you can weigh in but you know and it depends what type of trauma we're dealing with and how it's affected your you developmentally and all that kind of stuff it's not it's not the same for everybody but i do feel very passionate about this idea that we don't have to live with trauma long term once we're ready to deal with it it, it should be yes. relatively quick right
1: and we can heal from it yeah right no, I totally agree with you. Yeah, um, and I and I think people often come into my office just feeling like this is fixed me yesterday. This is, and also this is gonna never be fixed. This is I can't imagine a life without this pain and suffering. And that's one of the things I I part of my intake is like, okay, yeah, tell me like what your dream life looks like. You know, and and someone might say to me like, "Well, I don't have, you know, I'm not, I'm not awoken with nightmares every night from my trauma, or like I can sleep through the night." And I'm like, "No, that's not a dream life. Like, let's raise the bar here." Um, and the other thing is like, yeah, I want to see people get better. I don't, I want there to be, you know, come a day where someone says to me like, "It's been lovely, but I don't need to come see you anymore." Or, I might bring that up you know too yeah mm.
0: yeah and I I don't know about you but I often feel like when there's times that I've helped people to process trauma or deal with some big stuff when they leave and they and, or they turn up to their last appointment we don't know it's going to be their last appointment but they mm. turn up and I look mm. at them and I go are you finished and they go yes that's what I came here to tell you that is like the best part of the job when they oh, don't need you God. anymore right
1: yes have chills yeah absolutely bittersweet too you know because it's a relationship it's some of our biggest relationships in our lives that we don't get to share with anybody or or talk about outside of sessions it's it's such an interesting career (laughs) yeah
0: definitely you also mentioned narrative therapy what's that about I've never heard of that
1: Narrative therapy, I mean, in essence, it's just about being able to tell our unique stories and have them be witnessed. Um, So it's a whole therapeutic modality. Um, I think the idea is like, you're the main character of your life and perhaps the stories you've been telling yourselves or the cognitive processes you've been having um, could use some edits. And um, one of my sort of like, the thing on my card is like your story's not over yet you know and particularly as a trans person you know like that's where this really comes into play with my practice like I definitely changed my story I definitely you know changed the course of my destiny as I think we all have the power to do day in and day out in big and small ways um And that's such a powerful thing. And often people get stuck in ruts and get stuck in cycles. And I can be someone who can bear witness to their story and also maybe allow them to see some alternative endings or next chapters. Um, And also I literally use writing with people. So one of the ways I do intakes or getting to know people is I will write a question on a piece of paper and hand it to them and put five minutes on a timer and just have them free write. And so an example of a get to know you question would be, what am I struggling with or wanting to change? Who am I? What am I afraid of? And what's cool about using that technique with individual clients is like, I've worked with client before who was sexually abused by his father and he just had a daughter a baby girl and his what am I afraid of answer was dad showing up at the front door and how scary how terrifying that felt and that was really what he wrote about for five minutes we worked together for eight months um you know developed trust and talked about this topic and Clients forget, you know, sometimes because I keep the notebook um, until the end. And so I write the date, I write the question. And so about eight months later, I wrote, what am I afraid of? Not knowing what he was gonna write and I handed it back to him and the answer had completely changed. Like his father didn't show up at all in the answer because he had processed that trauma. And I flipped back and showed him his own words, which is really powerful. It's not my assessment of what happened, you know, eight months ago, it's literally what you said. And there's no arguing with that, you know, and it's, it's quite a powerful experience for people. Um, and the other thing that I do with narrative therapy is I have um, trans writing groups. So, and we do something similar actually some of those questions I've used what am I like the first group together maybe there's six of us um and I'm sort of just leading the group and and giving the prompts and everybody is writing and um often I do these distant um so people show up on zoom and get to see each other um from all parts of the US and um sometimes elsewhere, and it's just a sacred, a sacred healing space where we start with get to know you, who am I, you know, what am I struggling with, and then, like, trans is, um, as a prompt, or often, I will, create prompts from what's happening live in the group too and just sort of work with that. We've written poems with each other's like work um, as one big compilation before like lines from different people's writing Um, and one of my favorite prompts that I do with folks is have them write um, on each line how old they are. So the first line is zero, one two, three, all the way down to their current age. So each line is an age. And I have them go back and look at each of their former selves, thinking about like using the metaphor of like a deck of cards. We are the deck of cards. We are also each individual card. And each individual card makes up who we are now. And we've also been different versions of ourselves, and so I'll use for that age, you know, prompt, um, I'll use prompts like trans is age five, you know, trans is age 13, age 21, and it's really fascinating to see what people write for that, and then I'll do the same thing, but I'll do love is love is for each age, you know? Like, anything from like, I'm five and I have a best friend to like a a birthday party to, you know, I'm 21 and I thought love was this abusive relationship, but 31 now and I know what, having done the work, what good love actually feels like. And it becomes, if you can imagine, rather intimate, you know, rather fast, because I'm not asking the easy questions here. and it's just, again, such a lovely shared space. And I'm just, I'm going to do another group soon. I just
0: can't wait for the next one. It's one of my favourite parts of my week. That's lovely. What What made you want to do it? Do what? Uh, to run your trans writing groups.
1: Um, well, being myself in trans spaces has... Been some of the times in my life where I just feel the most free, and you know, it's just been life-changing moments, like going to conferences or getting to be in certain groups. Um, it's just looking around at each other's faces and being able to put it all down for a minute, being able to kind of back to the, I guess how I describe narrative therapy, like tell our stories and be witnessed. It's just something powerful about that so when I learned about narrative therapy and I thought about uh, maybe I would like to do some more group work outside of my community mental health stuff I, I thought that this would be a really beautiful parent yeah
0: oh, I um, love that yeah that's lovely so I know that you don't advertise yourself and you don't want to be pigeonholed because of this one aspect of your identity but obviously the fact that you're out and you're you've got a good following it must mean that you attract a lot of trans non- non-binary clients right
1: yes i do i i have i will see cis people i'm kidding i <laughs> i yeah i actually see yep i see a great deal of trans folks um and then i see a great deal of cis people as well but yeah
0: i a lot of trans people do reach out to me for therapy that's cool yeah. you must hear a lot of um feedback about their previous experiences with with other therapists given that you've kind of heard so much now what what would you like the rest of the therapy industry to to know about serving our community
1: oh yeah um well if you want to be a trans ally sign your name like i guess is my big um my big thing, or perhaps advice for any cis-therapist who wants to take it, like, I hear a lot of cis-therapists just sort of not willing to do the work to learn, but what really gets my goat is cis-therapists not feeling comfortable writing letters for trans people to access life-affirming care Um, whether that be hormones or surgery or whatever. And I think what it comes down to is fear of liability. Um, I, like I said, I'll see people short-term just for the purpose of writing their letter. And um, I've signed my name to hundreds of those letters. And I'm aware as well as many aware cisgender therapists are aware of, The fact that signing my name on a letter like this could potentially um, be an issue, you know? Like, what if someone's mom is really upset that their child is transitioning, their adult child is transitioning, and I've written a letter, like, I'd be a really easy target. But what I really would like like cis people to hear is trans people are really easy targets every day of their lives. And so if you really want to show up and be an ally, sign your name. But don't sign your name to a letter before first getting trained properly on how to write a letter and pay for it. Ideally, pay for it, you know, from a trans clinician, um, and and learn how to do it right and bump against up against your biases and like show up because that's a lot of the feedback I hear from people who have seen cis therapist after cis therapist is like yeah they won't write my letter or they don't get it or whatever and I mean essentially denying care to trans people is what's happening um it's not cool to just say I'm not comfortable with that and not refer out um so that's kind of (laughs) harsh advice but um but it's really important
0: yeah it's what you see Mm-hmm. and it's yeah it's happening all over the place I, I was very lucky with my trauma therapist that she was so open and so quick yes. to learn everything that needed that she needed to do yeah um yeah. and the openness was there i felt very comfortable to state my boundaries and my needs and stuff mm-hmm. um but i know for a lot of people there's just the access is just not there or yeah, yeah it's hard more
1: people than than there should yeah
0: yeah and I guess you're also performing like an amazing service to the community with the trauma therapy as well because I mean that's already something that I feel should be on prescription for literally like every human being who needs it Mm -hmm. um you know but I do think it's you know that that's difficult to access I think for a lot of people and then I think additionally accessing trauma therapy with an affirming person doubly difficult
1: you know like i said it was kind of by accident but it's pretty cool to wake up and know that i'm doing exactly what i should be doing here in my life like i i just feel that with all
0: of my being and i feel really grateful to know that I have that, to be that yeah i love that do you think that it takes someone to understand surviving trauma to be a good trauma therapist yeah yes yeah. so, <laughs> so. I, do. I do that's amazing well patrick thank you so much for your time today if people want to find you where can they find you
1: um well you can find me uh patrick walden psychotherapy on facebook and you can also go to my website if you're interested in learning more about what i do and my services at com. awesome
0: i will add those to the uh footnotes of the show thank you so much for joining me today it's been Thanks. a real pleasure
1: yeah, thank you for having me
0: thank you for listening to today's episode if you enjoyed it or found it insightful please leave me a review and share it with others you can find the transaction podcast on social media or go to muxharrishill.com forward slash transaction to sign up to our mailing list see you next time